0: So thankful to so many of you who take time to serve inside the church, outside the church, give so generously. If you've not found a way to start serving inside or outside of our church, I just encourage you to ask some people you're getting to know here and ask them how they serve, and then just tag along and do what they do. One of the best ways to to get active in, in serving. Today we want to continue our series of sermons on the subject of prayer. Prayer. So prayer is an important part. Uh, Remain is an important part of American life. Uh, over 50% of Americans report they pray daily. Two-thirds of Christians in America report that they pray daily. 25% of the religiously unaffiliated, the nuns, O N E S in America, uh, report to praying daily. 1% of atheists in America report that they pray daily. In, in other words, people are hungry for God. So, that, prayer is an important part of life, and yet prayer can be difficult to, to understand. Sometimes we make prayer a very transactional thing, right? Like, God, I will give you this prayer, and then you'll give me what I want. But prayer is more interesting than that. It's more nuanced than that than treating God like a giant vending machine. What we said last week as a summary was that prayer is a response to God. Prayer is drawing closer to God as a response to His deep love for you. Prayer is a dynamic conversation, one in which you both, uh, a dynamic conversation between you and your Creator, one in which you both talk and listen. So prayer is a response, it is a drawing closer because God has already drawn close to you, it's dynamic, there's give, there's take, there's talking, there's listening as you grow closer to your Creator. Prayer is about a relationship, not just a transaction. Last week I put my seminary and Davidson education to good use and let you know that I have no idea how prayer works. I just, I, I, I don't. I'm a highly trained unprofessional. You are in good hands at Lake Forest Davidson. Now, I do know some stuff about prayer, right? I can give you some big picture ideas on prayer, but if you ask me to describe how prayer works in the way a mechanic could describe how an engine works, I can't do that for you. I don't know anyone Uh, on this earth who, who can do that for you. But the point from last week was Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human. Jesus Christ does actually understand how prayer works to an intricate detail. He could describe prayer as a mechanic could describe how an engine works. And when you look at the life of Jesus, Prayer was a critical part of his life. As he walked on this earth, he routinely made time to pray. So if you follow Jesus, or if you ever come to follow Jesus, part of what it means to follow Jesus is to follow into his, in His footsteps. To, to, to trust Him and His way that it's the best way, even if you don't fully understand all the intricate detail of it. So, so, it's an interesting way to think about it. As you and I become more prayerful people, as we incorporate prayer more and more into our lives, we are actually following Jesus. We are following Jesus into the mystery of prayer. Even if we don't understand all of how it works, we can follow Jesus into it. Does this make sense? Do you remember that from last week? There were other words too, but that was sort of like the the big takeaway. Today I want to look at two biblical passages about prayer that at first glance do not seem to line up with each other. And we're going to drill down into that for a little bit and I hope find some deeper insight, all right? So we're going to try to build on the importance of prayer. By, by starting to, okay, okay, if prayer is important, if Jesus said it was important, if I'm following Jesus and acting like it's important in my life, how do you actually begin to, to, to go about this prayer thing? So the first passage is the one we heard earlier, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, always feel free to take the ones in the, in the chair as a gift to you. The setup team thanks you. Luke 18 verse 1 Jesus told His disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. If you find the Bible hard to understand, you are in luck today. The passage today begins with a summary statement. Jesus is about to tell a parable. It's about to be story time with Jesus. And what is the point of this parable? Always pray, don't give up. Excellent. Some years ago, I saw a church sign, and the church, you know how church put little clever signs? Clever, you know, uh, it's debatable, but signs out. Uh, sometimes they're clever, but the, this church sign said, God answers Niemale, knee mail, K N E E, God answers knee mail. I'm actually working on a sign for the property we're trying to buy that says, God answers knee mail, Lake Forest Davidson, coming soon. The town has not approved it yet, but I, I'm 100% confident. They'll let me put that sign up. The parable that Jesus is about to tell us actually uh, shows us. Now, I get what the church means by God answers an email, but the parable that Jesus is about to tell, that we're about to study, actually shows us that prayer is not like sending God an email. It's not like, well, I sent that request to God. I haven't heard anything yet. I know He's really busy. I'll give him a couple more weeks. If I haven't heard anything by the end of the month, maybe I'll send him a reminder. Jesus is saying, no, 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 this is not how prayer works, that we're supposed to be persistent in prayer, right? Keep on praying, don't give up. Verse 2, Jesus taught, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea Grant me justice against my adversary. So, in the parable, there's a judge. What do we know about the judge? The judge does not seem like a good dude. The judge does not love God. The judge does not even fear God. He doesn't have that basic reverence that would make an atheist pray. And we learn that the the judge does not care what people think. So he's not a people pleaser. He also would seem to lack sort of the the kindness, the care for people's uh, needs. So Jesus is portraying the judge as being indifferent to God and indifferent to other people. My highly theological summary, he doesn't seem like a good dude. Now we've got this widow in the parable. In this town, there's a widow. She's being cheated in some way, and that day and time, it was very possible to cheat widows. It was easy to cheat widows. They had very few rights and very little legal recourse, and they needed the mercy of other people. And so, this widow is coming to the judge, Mr. Indifferent, and is saying, "'I need you to hear my case and grant me justice.'" she is persistent in asking for his help, right? She doesn't just leave him one message at his office, doesn't hear back, and then moves on. She's persistent. She keeps on asking, keeps on knocking at his door. Verse 4, "'For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think.'" Now, we have to time out here. I'm convinced that's a joke, I'm convinced Jesus just made a joke. You know like when we say I said to myself, self? That's what he just did. He said, there's this person who doesn't fear God or care what people think. And he said to myself, even though he said to himself, even though I'm a person who doesn't fear God or care what people think. He's just being funny cuz you want to remember this parable, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me." So Mr. Indifferent is is, not motivated by kindness, he's not motivated by altruism, he's motivated by purely self-interest and he decides to help the widow. Why? Because she is wearing him out and he wants to go back to doing what judges, you know, do in their spare time. I don't know what that is, watching Perry Mason reruns or whatever, but he's got to get back to doing something. And so, even though he's not a person of upstanding character, he's going to grant the widow justice uh, regardless. Now, notice he doesn't say he's going to give her exactly what she's asking for, but he does say he's going to hear her request and be sure that at the very least she gets what she needs, that I will see that she gets justice. So he's going to make sure that she and her requests get treated justly. The point in all this is, you and I should not shy away from being persistent in prayer. Jesus' point is that we should not shy away from being persistent in prayer. The widow is persistent in making her requests known to the judge. And it paid off, her persistence paid off, even though he's not a good dude. So how much more will your persistence, will my persistence, pay off when the person we are talking to is God, our Creator, who loves us, who is kind, who is altruistic, who's not motivated totally by self-interest? What difference will that make? Do you see how Jesus is trying to make this case then of persistence, perseverance in prayer? God invites each of us to call Him our Father who is in heaven. And as our Father who is in heaven, God invites us to approach Him as a loving parent who will listen to us, who will give us what we need, not not always exactly what we ask for, but give us what we need. Even the unjust judge treated the persistent widow justly, fairly, gave her what she needed how much more so will God do that? Some time ago, uh, our two-year-old, Indiana, we call her Indy. Indy decided, I'm supposed to put her to bed. Now, not naps, just bed. Her mom puts her down for naps. I put her down for bed. It's very clear. So, I don't know if you've ever uh, put a kid down to bed. It's a very high honor to be selected to get to do this. Um, It's also a little bit repetitive at times. Because we go in, we pick a book to read. It's always one of three books. I'm a big sister, uh, going to bed book, or goodnight kisses. She gets in her bed, we read the book. She can tell me what's on the page before I read it. She knows these books. Then I go turn out the light. She keeps reading the book in bed. Then I go over to her and, and sing, and sing is in quotation marks here. That's a very loose term. Uh, sing, uh, He's got the whole world in His hands. Jesus loves me, and if an encore is needed, Jesus loves the little children, or oh, how I love Jesus. At the end of that, we say our prayer. And again, fairly, fairly uh, structured repetitive. We'll either pray a famous passage of the Bible like Psalm 23 or the Lord's Prayer in Matthew six. We'll look at that one in a few weeks. Uh, or sometimes we'll freeform it, but if we freeform it, it always goes the same. We pray for the people who've been in our lives that day. We pray for uh, Cora, her little sisters, Faith. We pray for Indy's faith. We pray they'll be big buddies as they grow up. We pray for Indy's heart. Indy has a heart uh, congenital heart defect, um, and then we pray for our family and church family to love hurting people, overlooked people, people who feel spiritually lost, and then we say Amen. Uh, and then we say amen about three times because that's her favorite part of the prayer, amen. And then I kiss her goodnight and, and walk out the door. And this is a very sweet moment. Then you hear her throw the book, get out of the bed, wander around aimlessly for 30 to 60 minutes, and fall asleep against the door. where you can't get back in her room without her knowing about it. She's a smart little kid. I tell you all this not because I want to paint myself as a hero. I'm not a hero. If you, if you think I am a hero, just get to know me. Uh, I'm not a hero. Uh, but what I'm trying to show you is that I'm trying to live this stuff out too, right? Like I'm trying to follow Jesus in this stuff too and teach the people I care about uh, and am responsible for to sort of do the same thing, to be persistent in prayer. That's what I'm trying to teach Indy to do, teach myself to do, be persistent in prayer, to be willing to pray for the same things over and over again. Like, as best I can tell, these are the most important things to be praying for, and we're going to keep praying for them over and over and over and over and over again. And where did we get that from? From Jesus' parable, be persistent in prayer. Keep praying. Don't give up. Some of you here in our congregation, each week you submit the same prayer requests on your prayer card. Sometimes verbatim, the same prayer request. Some people would say that's crazy, but here's the good news. Jesus doesn't think that's crazy. Jesus encourages us to be persistent in prayer. This gets us to our second passage for the morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7, which says, "'Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But He said to me, "'My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness.'" Now, you may be thinking, if he's got a thorn, why didn't he just pick it out? Well, it, it, this is a metaphor. As I learned to say at Davidson, a metaphor. This is a metaphor. He's not saying he's got a literal thorn. He's, got a, he's being metaphorical, and he's got a, 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 a. It's some kind of a constant distraction. It, it's, it's a constant annoyance. It's a constant struggle. It's not life-threatening, but it's always there. So, Paul says he's got this thorn, and this thorn is a messenger of Satan. This is is a source of regular discouragement. Whatever this thorn is, it feeds that voice in Paul's head that says, God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. God can't use you. The thorn, he says, is a torment to him. It's a source of torment. The best part about the thorn to me is that Paul never says what it is. Now, that has not kept people from guessing. There are libraries written about what this thorn is. You may have a theory. I have a theory. Was it a person? Was it a disease? Was it depression? What, was it a temptation? But we don't actually know. And the point is not, at least today, to guess what the thorn is. Um, for a steak dinner, I'll tell you my theory, but I mean, I'm talking a good steak dinner too. Not like No Taco Bell on that one. No, no, no. I don't share theories just for Taco Bell. The point is not what the thorn is. The point is he asked God to take it away. He prayed three times for God to take it away, and then he stopped praying for that. And my question there is, how is that being persistent in prayer? He prayed for it three times and stopped. You see why I want to hold these two passages together? Uh, if I were real uh, on the face of it, you'd say, wait a minute, didn't Jesus say to be persistent in prayer? Why they, you prayed for something three times and stopped. Why did He stop? Well, He stopped because God made it clear that He had a different plan, that the thorn was not going to go away. And This gets us to the point that prayer is a dialogue. Prayer is about both talking and listening to God. Now, we're pretty good at the talking part. It's easier to wrap your head around the talking part of prayer, but how do you listen to God? How do I listen to God in prayer? How do we listen to God generally? Like, is there going to be some sort of an audible voice that we'll hear? Well, I do know a handful of people who have heard an audible voice, But I think the most regular way that we hear from God, that God speaks to us, is in times of worship, whether personal worship or collective worship. When we are reading the Scripture, when we're being taught the Bible, when we're studying a passage of the Bible together or on your own. These times of worship when we're singing songs or listening to songs that, that uh, reflect the, what the Scripture says, the grace and truth found in the Bible, when we serve, when we give, in times of worship, individual worship, but collective worship, when we're being saturated in the Scripture, in those times it is not uncommon for God to put something deep in your heart or deep in your mind. It could be an assurance of who He is. It could be a a reminder of who you are as a follower of Jesus. It might be a conviction about something you need to do. But but in those moments, in those times of individual or collective worship being saturated in the Scripture, being being reading, studying, being taught, singing about, listening to songs about the Bible— based out of the Bible, God puts these things deep in our hearts, deep in our minds, and we would be wise uh, to receive that as God speaking to us. This is one of the, the regular ways that God speaks to us, that we listen to God. We don't ignore those things He puts deep inside our heart, deep inside our mind in the midst of collective or individual worship. Now, sometimes God will speak to us through circumstances. A common example in ministry is someone will want to get married, and they will want to get married to a specific person, and they will be praying about that, and that person will get married to somebody else. So, you, so that's when you stop praying for that. God has answered that prayer. not the way you wanted, but circumstances are saying God has something different. God can also speak to us through kind of an out-of-the-blue internal conviction. You're just going along, mind your own business, and and there's some kind of of out-of-the-blue internal conviction that comes to you. Now, I will say that when you think God is speaking to you in circumstances, or you think God is speaking to you through out-of-the-blue internal conviction, you would be wise to run that by a few trusted a little bit more mature than you are Christian friends, to help you refine your thinking, to to help you kind of refine what it is you think that God is saying to you, and to do so in ways that are consistent with what the Bible says. God is not going to tell you to do something that's inconsistent with what He's already revealed in the Scripture. Does this make sense? So the most common way is is in corporate or, or personal worship. And for things outside of that, it may well be God speaking to you, but you'd be wise to run it by a few wise, trusted Christian people to make sure you're hearing right, that it gets refined right, and that it's sort of clear. What, I guess my point is, the best way to listen to God is in community. The best way to listen to God is in community. We often think, I'll listen to God, I'll go get all by off by myself, and, and it'll just come to me somehow. Well, Maybe but we listen best to God in community when we have Bible study leaders, community group leaders, mission trip leaders, share team leaders, pastors, elders, mature Christians who would love to help us refine what we think it is that we're hearing from God. Mm -hmm. That's why we love that you're part of our church family. That's why I love our church family. If you don't like it here or you want a different church, a better church, they exist, they're out there, they ain't all that hard to find, just get plugged in somewhere so that you can both Talk to God, but also receive from God. Listen to God, which happens best in community, where you have other people to bounce stuff off of and say, does this seem totally crazy? Does this sort of make sense, a little bit of how the listening part of prayer can work? What I love about our church is we've got mature Christians and growing Christians, and I've just started to grow Christians and new Christians and not Christians all in the same church. And that diversity benefits all of us. So, all that to say, God tells Paul he has a different plan, and so Paul quits praying for the thorn to be taken away. So Jesus says, be persistent in prayer, but Paul's thorn shows us there are exceptions to that rule. There are times when you and I need to quit praying for something. So, if I had to put it all together into one sentence to put on the screen, it would be this. Through the Bible, God is encouraging us to be persistent in praying for specific things… Specific things. He prayed for the thorn to be taken away. God is encouraging us to be persistent in praying for specific things unless or until God makes it clear that He has a different plan. As best I can tell, these are the most important things for me to be praying for, and I'm going to pray for them consistently, persistently, unless or until God makes it clear He has a different plan. And at that point, what I'm praying for might change or what I'm praying for might get dropped altogether. So when it comes to prayer, does God care more about the relationship or the answer? When it comes to prayer, do you and I care more about the relationship or the answer? You see how there could be a disconnect there? What if part of why Jesus is telling us to be persistent in prayer is that what God most hopes in prayer is a deeper relationship? Not that the answers are not important, but that what God wants most is a deeper relationship. That God, as our Father who is in heaven, might say, I love hearing from you. I love hearing what's important to you. I love hearing what you, what you care about even if it's the same thing over and over again. In fact, I love it because it's the same thing over and over and over again. I love spending this focused time with you. I cherish getting to spend this time with you. And even after you think I've quit listening, I love hearing you throw that book and get out of bed and wander and chatter aimlessly, you are so funny to me. You bring me joy." Could it be that persistence in prayer, a beloved routine, an an anticipated habit, draws us into a deeper love of our Creator, of our Redeemer, of our Advocate, the Just Judge, And sometimes in the midst of that relationship, God will let us know that His plans are not our plans, that God has something different or something better than what we had been asking for. And let's just be honest, those are hard moments. When God says, I have something better or different than what you're asking for, those are hard moments. And we would be wise to remember the words that Paul heard from God in verse 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." God said to Paul after the thorn prayer, "'My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness.'" So when God has a different plan, or when God gives us something different than what we thought we were asking for, when life heads in a direction that we did not want, when it becomes clear that the thorn is not going to go away, when we are being pushed to a breaking point, or maybe it's our relationship with God that's being pushed to the breaking point, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And those are not hollow words. The God of all creation is looking after you. The God of all creation came to earth as Jesus Christ so that you would have a clear picture of your Creator. What is my Creator like? At great personal cost, He died in your and my place so that you and I can have a path back to our Creator through Jesus, you and I have 24-7 access to the most majestic throne room imaginable, where we are actually not just allowed but invited to walk in and tell the Creator of everything that is what our heart desires. Does that seem crazy to you? Remember that the fact that you and I can even approach God in prayer is because Jesus has given us grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And in the hard seasons of life, in the difficult times, when it feels like things could be pushed towards a breaking point, we are, the point is don't, don't lose the forest for the trees. It's the grace of Jesus that got us safe this far. And it's the grace of Jesus that's going to get us home. His grace is sufficient. Through prayer, God changes us and sometimes our situation. Through prayer, God changes us and sometimes our situation. Now, a lot of our prayers are about a change in situation, and that's a good thing. Be persistent in prayer. Keep praying. Don't give up. But what if God's deeper hope in prayer is actually changing us? In the difficult seasons of life, you and I have to decide, are we going to depend on God's grace or our own strength? Is Jesus going to be my guide or do I have a better map? Is it, is it God's grace that's gotten me safe this far, or has it been my own brilliance that's gotten me safe this far? Is it God's grace that's going to lead me into the future, or is it my sheer willpower that's going to get me there? Will God's grace get me safely home? The Lord has promised good to you and me. His Word our hope secures. He will our shield and portion be as long as life endures. And then, by His grace, we will be safe and at home. Safe and at home. So my question, as I wrap up my part of the service today, is this. How did Jesus' parable and Paul's thorn relate to your life? In other words, how do the two passages we looked at today, the parable about being persistent in prayer and the passage about Paul's thorn where God said, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness, how does all that intersect with your life? Is there a place where you're, you know, being encouraged or convicted deep in your mind, deep in your heart, to be persistent in prayer for something, to be consistent, not to feel like you have to make up a new prayer every time, but to, to, it's okay to keep praying for the same thing. In fact, Jesus seems to be encouraging us to be persistent, consistent in prayer. Maybe for you, it's whatever you're in the midst of, uh, it's not going. Life has gone in a different direction, or, or the prayer you've been praying for a while, it seems to be like keep going to God's junk mail folder or something like that. We hear the words of, that Paul heard from God, "'My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness.'" Is there a place in life where you need to own that, claim that? God's grace is going to be enough for you. It's going to get you through. It's actually gotten you to this very point, and it's going to keep getting you through. The old preachers used to riff on this verse and say, imagine a, um, imagine like having something that was broken, shattered, and making a little candle holder out of it and putting a candle in it where would you see the light the best? You'd see the light the best through the most cracked parts. My power is made perfect in weakness. Where do people see the the greatest work of God in your life, the greatest work of Jesus in your life? It's not the places where you and I have got it the most buttoned up, and it's not the places where we could do it on our own sheer willpower. It's in the places of weakness, the places of struggle the places where we can only do it because God's the one powering us to do it. That's the places where we look, and the people who know us best look and say, Look at the difference Jesus has actually made in that person's life. His power is most clear, His power is made perfect in weakness. So I guess that's it. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever it is He's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, I do thank You for each person in our congregation. I thank You for all the people gathered here today, coming from different places, coming with different needs, coming with different hopes, and yet we find our way to You, and somehow You meet us in the the midst of all those different things. Lord, I do pray we would be people consistent and persistent in prayer. Whether we pray a lot, whether we pray very little or or maybe none at all, I pray we would find each of us to take a new step, a new step closer to you. And Lord, that you would help to refine our hearts and our minds about what are the most important or valuable things for us to be praying for, and that we would do so consistently, persistently. Lord, I pray for those of us who are in difficult times and situations today, I pray that those of us who are would hear those words that Paul heard, my grace is sufficient for you. It's my grace that's gotten you safe this far. It's my grace that will lead you on. And Lord, in the hard, the weak places, the struggles of life, would your power shine most clearly Lord, we thank You most of all for Jesus who invites us to follow Him, to follow Him closer to You, to be transformed in the light of Your grace. So I pray we would do that. And for those of us who keep Jesus at arm's length, I pray we'd be willing to let our guard down. and follow in His footsteps one day at a time. We pray all this in His name. Amen.